Good morning, everyone. Um, first service when Annie did her introduction, I thought that was great. I hadn't considered all the uh, all the ways culturally that um, Psalm 23 was used, and I, I think it's a good place to start thinking about um, the centrality of this passage in the Christian life and how the world sees it. That's really really a good thing to meditate on. So you may be surprised to hear that after the theme of God's rescue plan that invades every thought in scripture with the person and work of Christ, the motif, the picture of sheep and shepherding is the most overarching message in the pages of scripture. From where we're told in Genesis 4-2 that Abel was a keeper of sheep to Revelation 7-17 which says, for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eye. There is an underlying story of us and our creator. And to understand the significance and kindness of us having a good shepherd and our need for a good shepherd in God, I want to start by making sure we understand sheep. I'll start with an apology. I didn't do this first service, but I'll go ahead and do this. You may feel offended at points in this as I draw these comparisons <laughs> in Scripture. Um, but I have confirmation from the Morgans who were here first service, and I, they, they've gotten sheep in the last um, year, sometime, maybe six months. And I asked them what they thought, all of them, what they thought about what I said and asked if it was true. And they said, yes, it's worse than that. And so <laughs> if you doubt my word, they invited you over to check it out firsthand. Um, so I think sheep are a sign, and, and signs in Scripture point to something beyond themselves. Signs in Scriptures are there to point to a more real thing. So here we're talking about sheep, the animal created to tell a story, and these animals are not smart, they're unkind, they're fearful, and they're selfish, and they need a shepherd. And I'm suggesting that the imagery of sheep and shepherd in Scripture has us as sheep. So whenever we have a picture in the Bible, it's always a shadow of the more real thing. So sheep are a shadow of the more real thing, which is us. So what that means is, as we hear about how pathetic and needy and helpless sheep are, and how we're seeking to destroy ourselves all the time, um, it's pointing to a more real thing, which is us. Um, while the bulk of the sermon will be looking at the vertical aspect of having a good shepherd in God, it's important to note that one of, if not the main way we interact with and experience the goodness of our shepherd is horizontally through our pastors. And I want to sort of front load the, the final thought or the, the, um, the application so that you can be thinking about that as we um, go through this passage. So... Personally, I've had one interaction with sheep in my life, in my life um, years ago, decades ago at this point, um, and it was with Ryan. Um, Ryan's dad had sheep in a, in a corral at his house. Um, Ryan's dad was out of town. The sheep got out. Ryan called and said, hey, come help me get the sheep back in. Sure. So I head over there, and um, we start. There's, there's sheep wandering around every place, and we jump out, and we try to get one cornered. And at this point, they're running every direction. They're bleating at us. They don't like us. They're raising alarms. Um, we do finally get one cornered, and we're able to pick it up. And so, so in, in Greg's corral, the, the gate was locked, and Ryan didn't have a key to it. But there's this other gate that's kind of a maze that you can work your way in that larger animals like horses and, and cattle can't make it out. A smaller animal like a sheep could. So we're going to try and work them back through there, holding them by their legs. Um, but as we get one 
cornered, we finally pick them up, then all the other sheep that are out come and they start running in there. They're headbutting us and they're, they're hitting us and tripping us up and it was frustrating. Um, I, 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 I went quickly from compassionately trying to, to care for and get these back in and um, to just like, let's just tuck them over the fence, Ryan, whatever it takes at this point, which we didn't do. I actually don't remember how it resolved. Um, but the, the sheep got back in. Ryan and I did talk um, about the picture and imagery in Scripture and like, oh, oh, oh. Um, this is what it means. So, I share that story to say this, um, as we talk about sort of this horizontal application today. Um, in Latin, pastor means shepherd. So when we say, hey, Pastor Rich, we're identifying Rich as a shepherd. And that is both a noun and a verb. It's both a title and an action. As a title, it gives us a picture of how Christ feels about his church and how the men who are called to lead it from an earthly perspective are called to act. As, our act, as an action, our pastors are told in, in 1 Peter 5 to shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So both a title and direction for how to manage, care for, shepherd the flock of God. Pastors are under shepherds and that they're not, we're not owned by them as sheep. I'm not a pastor here, if you're visiting. Um, and we're not owned by these under shepherds. They're men that have been charged. They've been given authority to shepherd us because they've been granted that charge by the chief shepherd. And we talk about the formal role of a pastor. We often talk about the calling and how they are called into ministry. You are identified by other men who are in the role to say, we think we see God at work in you in a way that enables you to be able to lead the flock of God. Join us in doing that. Another way, you're familiar with the story of Robin Hood, and you can kind of see that with uh, Prince John, if you remember, was a steward for King Richard. King Richard went to fight in the Crusades, and he called Prince John to steward the kingdom in his stead while he was away. And in reality, Prince John only had the authority to lead the kingdom in a way that would continue to point to the benevolence and greatness of the king. But as you know in that story, he becomes a terror to the kingdom until King Richard returns and makes things right. Pastors in that same way are to act as a steward in all their activities and point to the benevolence and goodness of the chief, chief shepherd, God. They are to image forth the heart and actions and attitude of the eternal shepherd. And whenever possible in the leadership um, of a church, they're called to do that. And they're, they're doing it as sheep as well. Um, but I want us to be aware that we're both experienced the kindness of our chief shepherd through the men appointed to shepherd us, pastors. And we as the flock, when we act like the sheep I described a little bit ago, when they're just there trying to help us, um, we're acting against God through these men. Ryan and I were just there to help the sheep. Needed to get back in the corral so they could be safe. They fought against us the whole way. God experiences our rebellion and wickedness as the chief shepherd, of course, and our primary sin is against him and his holiness. But our pastors experience it horizontally as well. Spiritually, we're acting against God. Horizontally, we're often carrying out our rebellion against the men charged to care for us as stewards. So just have that in mind as we head into the passage this morning. So I believe sheep were created to tell a story. 
Sheep are created exactly as they were to tell the story of us, and particularly to help us understand ourselves and how kind God is towards us and how great our need is for a loving shepherd to intercede in almost every area of life on our behalf. I believe the life of sheep and man were a purposeful act of creation by God. Um, it says in the very beginning in Genesis 4, I already mentioned that Abel was a keeper of sheep. That was, it wasn't a, a herdsman, he was a keeper of sheep. And I believe sheep cannot survive, exist, really, without a human presence in their lives. So here's some of the reasons I say that. They have no defensive or offensive capabilities outside of headbutting us a little bit. That you know, didn't really do any damage. Um, they can't protect themselves at all. They're soft, furry, and delicious. Um, they're very low in the food chain. Everything from large predators, from coyotes, from wolves, cougars, bears, all the way down, as we'll see, to flies. Something's trying to kill them. Um, if not watched, they will destroy their food supply by tearing up and eating the roots. They must be moved from pasture to pasture. Um, um, they, they must be shorn periodically, right? Their wool, their wool um, um, grows often. And if they get unshorn for too long, that changes their center of gravity so much so that they flip over and they can't right themselves anymore. That term is cast down and they have to have somebody physically put them back on their feet and if they've been upside down too long, even massage their legs and get the blood flowing in them again. Um, to avoid drinking running water, which scares them, right? clean running water, they'll drink from, from puddles and pools full of still water, full of parasites and make themselves sick. Um, they're so skittish that a jackrabbit running by will scare them and, and just cause them all to scatter. And they're so not smart that a, a well-trained dog, a sheep dog, can take better care of themselves and protect them better than they can themselves. And it's important to note, to, to note that sheep dogs do their job by sort of uh, manipulating the inherent fear in a sheep to make them do what you want. So a, a sheep dog can drive sheep because they got a lot of energy and, and they're just scaring the sheep the direction they need to go. And so there's a reason God didn't use that, put himself as a chief shepherd and, and make pastors um, sheep dogs um, because they, they lead by fear. They make the sheep do by fear and that's not what they're called to do. Um, here's a modern-day example of the skittishness of sheep. Dateline is Istanbul, Turkey. First one sheep jumped to its death, then stunned Turkish shepherds who had left the herd to graze while they had breakfast, watched as nearly 1,500 others followed, each leaping off the same cliff, Turkish media reported. In the end, 450 dead animals lay on top of one another in a billowy white pile, the newspaper said. Those who jumped later were saved as the pile got higher and the fall more cushioned, the newspaper reported. <laughs> All right, so 1,500 of them jump, over 1,000 of them were still okay because they used the others as cushioning. So sheep were created to tell a story, and we're going to see that story um, today. So a thought I had for our big idea for the morning, um, help us remember how great our need is and what we are. It's a syllogism, a simple one that says, all sheep are stupid, we are sheep, we all are stupid sheep. Um, but that's not what we're going to go with, because that doesn't really drive at the, at the greatest thing in this passage. The big idea that I want you to remember as you go from this place, and whenever you think about the passage, that the Lord is your shepherd, you shall not want. All right, the Lord is your shepherd, you shall not want. Psalm 23 is a psalm of David. He's credited as the author, and that makes sense based on what we know about him. 
So it's interesting that the two most prominent leaders that the most of Scripture is written about in the Old Testament is Moses and David. Um, great leaders of Israel, friends of God, very close to God. The Lord prepared them for their ministry by seasons of being alone, shepherding actual sheep. And then they continued that with the people of God the rest of their lives. More evidence, I think, making the case for the purposefulness of God in making sheep a sign to help others understand ourselves a little better. The first thing Psalm 23 tells us is that we have a shepherd. We are owned by him. And from this side of the cross, we understand that we were bought with the price of God's blood, the Lamb of God dying for us. His blood shed because of us and for us. That means if Rev ceased to exist tomorrow, you would still have a pastor, a shepherd who loves you and cares for you more than any earthly being could. He cannot love you more, and he will not love us less. In antiquity, many rulers, especially in the Middle East, used this imagery when referencing their position as leader over their people. I would say, in fact, until the modern era, uh, leaders saw their lives and the nation's prosperity in life tied to that prosperity in people and care for people. And they would use the, the power and the wealth they have to help their kingdom thrive. They didn't take it. They didn't act like Prince John. They acted like King Richard. Jesus says it this way in John 10, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He was a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. So who's going to care the most for the sheep? Well, the owner, the one who paid the price, the one that understands the costs because he paid it. Our shepherd is an eternal shepherd who needs no rest, who will not flee and abandon us, but has in fact already laid his life down for us, and we have no needs we shall not want. You have an owner who purchased you at the price of his own life and has made every good thing available to you. We're owned by our shepherd, the Lord God. We're cared for by someone who loves us. So how is it that our needs are met, and how does that allow us to rest? The second part of the verse says, I shall not want. And the bulk of the rest of the passage explains what it means to have your needs met. By either seeing the shepherd in the field or hearing his voice, the sheep can best rest with their needs met and in the shepherd's presence. So verse 2 says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He makes me, verse 2 starts with, it's command. We are commanded to rest. Uh, since the establishment of the Sabbath on day 7 of creation, we have been told we need to rest. Exodus 20 says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh. Therefore the Lord blessed Sabbath, the Sabbath day and made it holy. He commands us to lie down. He makes us lie down. He watches over us so we can have rest in him. Pointing back to last week's sermon and other things we're going to talk about in Ephesians, we rest because 
in eternity past, for reasons known only to him, he predestined us to be his sons and daughters, to be a part of his flock. And so there's no laboring or striving that we need to do. We can just love him and trust him and rest in him. Next, we see that he restores our souls. And here again, a shepherd has insight into the vulnerability and great need of a sheep for a shepherd. I mentioned already that sheep get cast down. Their center of gravity is high, and it's relatively easy for them to end up on their back and impossible for them to roll back over on their feet if certain conditions are met. And um, sheep are, are really cruel to one another. Probably doesn't surprise you compared comparing the images. Um, and so it's very common for them to be headbutting. Morgan's talked about it when I asked them about it. They're, they're kind of just unkind picture of, of what much of our lives is like. And so it's, it's, it's common for them to headbutt someone until they flip over or if it's too unshorn, if there's too much wool on the, uh, on the sheep and there's a heavy dew in the morning, that could be enough to shift the, um, the center of gravity. There's hardly a more vulnerable position for any of us to be in, right? On our back with feet and legs up in the air. Um, and their, their, their circulation system isn't good, so blood drains from their feet very quickly. So a shepherd can't just write them and send them on the way. He's got to massage them. He's got to lay them on their side and get that blood going again. Or you've seen the, the common picture of a shepherd with a sheep over his neck, and that, that's what's happened probably to that sheep is something happened. He was flipped over, and so he takes that time, puts them over his neck, and massages the blood back into him, and then puts them on, on the ground and has them, um, has them go. <laughs> We need to be restored, is where I'm driving at. There's times in our lives when we're going through, through dark places where we've, we've been um, cast down. Um, and this leads the shepherd king to David to say about a half dozen times in, this past, in uh, Psalms as a whole, why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Hope in God. When we've been cast down, when we're low, we're going to see it again when we go through the, the valley of the shadow of death, when things are darkness, we look to God. We need to be righted, and we are righted by him. The Lord is your shepherd. You shall not want. Next we see he leads me beside still waters, and he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Another sheep fact is they cannot be driven uh, other than a sheepdog who exploits their natural fear. They have to be drawn. If you drive sheep, they're just going to scatter. But instead, a shepherd walks in front of them, and the shepherd has, has worked with this sheep probably since they were born, so they know his voice. And he leads them, so he, he walks in front and he talks to them, and when they start to, to wander off or something happens, he calms them with his voice. He gives sheep names. And isn't that just like us? We don't like being yelled at and driven when somebody else wants us to do something. We prefer our pastors to sit down with us and talk with us and help us understand what's going on. We will scatter if we're forced to a place we're not ready to go. Or if one of our pastors just stood up here and yelled at us for being deficient, for not tithing enough, for not serving enough. That wouldn't drive us to serve or give more. It would just cause us to go find someplace else. It's not just the manner in which it's done, but it's the voice as well. If we are owned by God and we know his voice through studying, um, we are at a church and, and we end up at a church that is not preaching and leading as God has commanded, we will 
we'll be convicted to move on from that place. Um, we don't hear the voice of the good shepherd and the voice of the pastors. Um, Jesus says it this way, again in John 10, the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not file, follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of the stranger. So again, no matter how hard Ryan and I would have worked, how tender our hearts would have been towards those sheep, they will not have ever trusted us or, or moved to us. It's going to take time and, and a pattern of us caring for them and showing them how we love them and how we cared for them. We get that with God. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So again, we're led by our shepherd the right way for his glory. Right? Listen to it again. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The motivation of the eternal shepherd to do these things is his own glory. He is a good shepherd, and it is the glory of a shepherd to watch over, protect, provide for, feed, and return with all the sheep. That's the definition of a good shepherd, to do all those things. How does the world see the glory of God? Well, one of the primary ways is through the lives of those who claim to follow him. That's us. We who are glory bearers made in his image are to display the goodness of God to the nations through our lives, through the paths we take, through the choices we make. There's a problem with that though, right? If left to our own devices, we don't take the right path. Proverbs 14:12 says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. If left to our own devices, we will pursue the path of our own choosing and its end, and we are told that end is death. Again, Isaiah 53 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. Right? If we're not following, listening for the voice of the Good Shepherd, um, if we're following the, our gut, if we're, if we're choosing the, the burning in our bosom, if we're looking to culture for cues, we're not going to be on the path that the Lord has for us. So just like the sheep, our best life comes when we submit to and follow the way the Lord has set for us. We listen to his voice and follow him. A path that will be good, instructive, and bring glory to God through our walking it. <clears throat> the question is, how do we know what the right path and how do we recognize his voice? I already mentioned it. We read, we study, we meditate and pray with his word open on our laps in front of us. We listen to the preaching of his word. Um, we submit to one another. We seek counsel from wise older members of the church and our pastors. Use the word of God. Read every one of them from Genesis to Revelation, not just the red ones. All of them are his words. The Lord has provided a picture in the Psalms to deal with the reality that there will be dark times. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Oftentimes, the summer pastures, the tablelands, would be the, in the highlands or the mountains. And if you've spent time in the mountains, you know that oftentimes the path getting there can be scary. Um, that's the picture here. Um, you're heading someplace, the Lord's drawing you. It doesn't seem right. It doesn't feel good. You're not sensing that things are in a good place. There's a shadow over your life and what's going. 
And we go through these seasons, and the Lord uses them to conform us to the image of his son. We're changed. We're, we're baptized into a new part of God and a, a sort of metamorphosis, and we come through different on the other side. In those seasons, we need to remember things like Hebrews um, 13. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? I don't remember what psalm, but he's quoting a psalm there. Um, the author of Hebrews is, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Store that up in the heart for the next time you're going through a, a dark season. Remember that you're owned by the Lord. You're loved by the Lord. What can man do to you? You want to be able to say and remember that the Lord is my shepherd. I have no wants. Two tools common to shepherds throughout time. Oh, yeah, okay. Uh, two tools common with shepherds throughout time. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So one is an offensive weapon to protect the sheep from enemy, enemies outside the flock, and one is to bring comfort or correction or maybe rescue a sheep. So a rod traditionally would have been a, a dense throwing stick that a shepherd with great accuracy would fling at a predator that comes toward the flock to get rid of them. We know David killed uh, many animals. He talks about that in different places. Um, in most cases, that rod has been replaced with a uh, modern firearm. The other is the traditional shepherd's crook that you see whenever you see a, a picture of a shepherd. It's a tool that has many uses in working the flock. Interestingly, in Exodus, um, about a half dozen times, I think, the, it's, Exodus references the staff of God that Moses carries, and that was his shepherd's crook. So the people of Israel would have been led, and they would have recognized that the authority given to Moses, and they saw it in the staff of God, a shepherd's crook, and they would have had themselves being shepherded through the desert all those years by Moses. Next, we see the shepherd preparing table lands or the pastures so the sheep might have peace. Um, so two types of preparation taking place. One is the shepherd has gone out in his presence and his watchful eyes making sure that the enemies stay at a distance and the sheep, they're, they're far enough away that the sheep can have rest. They can smell them, they can see them, but they're not worried because they have their, their shepherd there. Um, but the other thing is... Um, uh, there's a preparation, and the shepherd has to go before them to protect the sheep from themselves by inspecting and preparing areas for the sheep to, to graze. There's many things dangerous to the digestive tract of sheep. So preparing the grazing land by removing anything dangerous is something that a good shepherd has to do. It's interesting that the Lord has put into some animals, I think most animals, sort of a discernment of what's good for them and what's not. Deer and elk exist in a forest with no shepherd, and they know what mushrooms to eat, what berries to eat, and what mushrooms not to eat, and what berries not to eat, but it's not so with sheep. They need somebody to go and remove those temptations, or else the sheep's just going to go and make themselves sick or worse. In the Gospels, Jesus sends out 72 of his broader group of disciples um, to preach the gospel and do signs and miracles in his names. And he says this as they're preparing to depart in Luke. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. What could compel a sheep to go out amongst wolves with no provisions, no money, no protection? 
Only the complete confidence and comfort that the shepherd is eternally good and able to protect them and provide for them in any situation. Do you see your shepherd as that? Do you trust him enough to go through the dark valley, through the shadows, go out amongst wolves as a sheep and know that he is going to provide for you and care for you? Finally, for sheep to rest, they need to be free from flies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. So there are dozens of flies that can torture a sheep into sickness and even death. And other animals are tortured by flies as well, but God gave them um, a tail to be able to to deal with those type of things, but not so as sheep. Um, Nose flies buzz about the sheep's head, attempting to deposit their eggs in the damp nose of the sheep. And the eggs then hatch a few days later, and larvae will work their way up the nasal passage into the sheep's head and burrow into the flesh. So this is agonizingly annoying, as you can imagine, with no way to, to scratch it or deal with it, they'll butt their heads then up against a tree or a rock until they're bloody or they just pass out from annoyance. And so once again, um, we see why ownership and, and the life of sheep and shepherds is so intertwined. With feed or drink, like we talked about earlier, the shepherd provides to protect us from ourselves by removing the temptations or taking us where we need to go. In this place, he, he, atta- he, he anticipates an attack, and he protects us, and he takes herbs and oils, and he mixes them together. And then in a very intimate and loving way, he calls us by name, and he anoints us with oil, and he would rub it into the face and head of the sheep to keep those flies away. And, and we see the scripture then, this idea that we have in scripture of being anointed with oil, that's always a sign of blessing, of God's love and blessing and affirmation in our lives. You see that if a shepherd would be massaging that into the, to the wool of the sheep, it's just like that when God has somebody anoint somebody with oil in scripture. It's a sign of his blessing and his favor and his love. Something that has no value doesn't need to be protected. But with us, he anticipates what is to come, and he protects us from it because we have value to him. 1 John 5 says, He who is born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. Because we are born again in him and through him, we are protected by him, Jesus and God, the eternal shepherd. We are his, and because of him and by him, we are protected from the evil one. That is the blessing we enjoy as sheep of his flock. And so we end as we really begin. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Um, I shall not want, is the way verse 1 ended, having no wanting. And verse 6 boasts about the lock of wanting we will have forever. What naturally follows from being a part of a flock that has such a shepherd goodness and mercy all the days of our lives. And that path that we are drawn down by his voice leads to the house of the Lord where we dwell forever. Our great heavenly reward for which we, we, we follow him for all his days. We get Jesus. He is ours and we are his. So he says to those he owns in John 10, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. 
I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. All us like sheep have gone astray, but we've been sought out by God and brought into his flock, purchased at the price of his own death. Rejoice that these things have been revealed to us. Re- rejoice that we, we have a God who loves us so much so that he put this picture, and it's a central picture even outside of the church, about the love of God for his people. And he hasn't given us just a book and walked away, but we are in relationship. That's what Ryan talked about last week in Ephesians 1. It isn't just about being made righteous. It's about having relationship. It's about knowing his voice. As we enter back into worship and prepare our hearts for communion, think about how our sin, which we should have been punished for, is punished in Jesus Christ. Goodness and mercy is following us instead of justice and wrath, which is what we deserve. Think about how we've been adopted as sons and daughters, and we get to dwell in his house as his children forever. This is good news, and if you're here today and you want to become a son or daughter of God, somebody will be back there to talk to you. Um, head back there right now. We'd rejoice to have you a part of the household of God. As we're singing the next song, we're heading to worship. If you've already counted Christ as your treasure, you can get up, prepare your hearts, grab the elements, and we'll take them together. Lord God, thank you that you are the good shepherd. Thank you that you have provided for us. Lord, thank you that we can hope in your goodness, in your presence, and that you love us so much that you have provided for our every need. We love you. We thank you.